it's episode seven. It's the Hound Hall podcast, and this week's guest is Mr. Peter Barfoot. He's our theme personified. This guy took a 21 acre field and turned it into a 250 million pound business. He's one of the UK's largest producers of fruit and vegetables. He's dedicated, he's passionate, and he's even managed to dodge death. When you're listening, don't forget to press that like button, leave those comments, and please get on those ratings. This podcast will only grow with your support, so please keep those good vibes coming in. And you know what's coming next. If all is said and done, then just sit back, relax, and enjoy. But I find that recently, that before I had the operation and just after the operation, I went five times within a 10%, uh, 90% chance of dying. Five times. Wow. They nearly lost me and then managed to bring me back again. <clears throat> so I'm indeed very fortunate. Do you remember that? Yeah. I mean, like, from, from, from obviously, you're playing polo. Yeah. You fall. Yeah. You had a horse land on you. Yeah. Well, apparently, all I remember is... I'm going like a bath out of hell, yeah. trying to chase down James Harper, who is the number one playing polo player in England. Yeah. And my horse lost his front legs, and I nose and nose dives into the grain, and I hit the head, my head, at about 25 miles an hour against the grain, a real solid headbutt. And then I saw. A big ball of fire, a red ball of fire, yeah, and then nothing. So I know nothing after that until I come rain from a coma, which was I think induced two months afterwards. Two months lost. Yeah, and then, and then the next two weeks on, I still have very little recall. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and within those two months, that was the, they were the five times where you went, came back, went, came back. About. Most of the went and come back was in the first twenty-four hours. And do you do you have any recollection of those? No, none at all. So Nothing. Just, just what I'm finding out bit by bit, piecing together. Yeah, like they took two hours to get me in a stable condition. Yeah, for the for the helicopter flight. Yeah. To Brighton Hospital. And then they said to Angela, um, you might want to say goodbye to him because we might not get him there. And on the apparently on the way to hospital, they had ambulance say, ambulances stationed in locations on the way from um, Cadre to Brighton, just in case they needed to come down and give me... Some specialist treatment. Wow. And then I apparently I got to the hospital and they took me into the um, operating theatre straight away. Yeah. And um, and then the surgeon came out and said to Angela, Well, it looks like it's not gonna work. I think you're gonna we're gonna lose him. So perhaps you want to get the children together and just go and say goodbyes. And um, and then apparently she said, is there absolutely nothing you can do? And they said, well, we could drill a hole in his head and let the pressure off the brain, 
for the shot before we kill him. And she said, well, if he's going to die, then you just want to try it. So she had to sign a bit of paper and give them permission to drill this hole in my head, wow. which is there. Yeah. yeah. And... Um, and um, they went ahead and drilled the hole, let let the blood off because I had a big brain bleed, and um, it must have worked. Yeah, I'm, I'm here today. Yeah, yeah. This is not a dream. You are yeah. here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a hell of a story, though. Yeah, it is. Um, and Angela's uh, your good lady is obviously um, incredibly brave as well, although she probably didn't have many or any choices really but well uh, I think she went through a, a very difficult period for the next several months yes and um, she was in the hotel in Brighton so she could come and see me whenever and then being cost conscious she um, worked out it was rather expensive and so she got a bed and breakfast lodging next to the hospital and lived there Incredible. So she could come and see me. <clears throat> and when I was recovering and coming around and able to speak and do things, she would read to me every night. And one of the books she read, which was very good, was um, about the all-black rugby team. Yeah. And how they create their persona and their team ethos. Yeah. And um, make it such a special, special thing. Yeah. And she read me a chapter every night. And I said, that is a very good book, Angela. I said, not only does it help with what I've been through, but it's a great business pointer. I think you should order half a dozen of them and give one to each of the directors of the company yeah which you been what a great idea yeah and and I, that's quite incredible yeah. so actually for someone who's got to where you have with a with a company with a business um and still be inspired by something yeah because you know yeah you you, you obviously well, things come like to. things like that are inspirational yes um do you think you would have uh, um strange question not not really important would you have? Do you think you'd have come across that book had you have not had an accident, or do you think it would have? Do you think it would have had the same impact had you have not oh, had an accident? It would have probably passed me by. No, I know because this this is. Uh, I mean, it's a problem that we, I think, we all share. That uh, you know, the, certainly when you you work for yourself, you know, and things grow and they progress, and uh, you enjoy doing it. You're passionate. You're committed. Um, you know, you spend all this time, you know, creating, but then you 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 don't have the time to. There's lots of other things that possibly yeah. pass by, yeah. or you don't get to see. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 So um, anyway, so that was important. Yeah. And also, um, in my first year of recovery, I did my own book, didn't I? You did. And, that, and, and I'm a very proud owner of one copy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and. That probably did more um, to bring me back into the into the world yeah. than anything. Yeah. Dragging out the memories and the past and putting them to the present and yes. hopefully the future. 
Is it was it almost sort of a cathartic sort of nice way of, you know, because you've had the accident, you know, life then stops. You can take stock. You then get that time to be able to stand, you know, metaphorically, not literally, but stand and look and think, you know, that's where it started. This is where we are. And and you've almost got a bit of time to breathe and, you know, plan to move forward. Did, 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 did the book then, was it almost like uh, not only, you know, a collection of stories and, like you say, things that you've done, but did it then aid moving forward? Did it give more clarity to what you, you know, how you would sort of move forward into the future well, with the uh, business, you? Well, I think, um, like most um, entrepreneurial businessmen, I led a very selfish existence. And so writing the book was a great way to then suddenly think about other people, where you came from and where you're going, etc. Also, um, in one of my many dreams that I had when I was in the coma, I did meet the Grim Reaper, and um, and <laughs> and it, it took the form of Angela and myself flying to South America to go embark on a suicide package, right? And uh, we were lined up in the queue, and eventually it was our turn. And the Grim Reaper was there, and he looked at me and he said, uh, hello, Mr. Barber, um, what can we do for you? And I said, well, I've come here to die, but now I'm here, I don't really want to die. Oh, he said, what would you like to do? I said, I would really like to go back again. Yeah. Oh, right. Um, and if I went back again, how long do you think I would have? He said, mm, probably, probably 20 years. I said, please, can I have them and go back again then? Yeah. He said, okay, get out of my way. Um, sadly, and it keeps being pointed out to me, I didn't ask for Angela to come back as well. <laughs> but <coughs> luckily, he overlooked that and um, sent her back as well. Which is probably yeah. look after me. Yeah, absolutely. So, in the course of writing my book, when I started getting on the roll and putting the chapters together, I must say I did have a ghostwriter, but she went a lot of good to me because my speech would tire and it would be very difficult to talk. Yeah. And my writing was downhill, so I couldn't write either. So. In the end, I picked up my iPad and started tapping the chapters out on an iPad. Yeah. And one finger, one finger, <laughs> da, 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 da. And, and as I finished the chapter, I buzzed them off to the ghostwriter after yeah. they'd been proofread by Angela to make sure the spelling mistakes were okay and the grammar wasn't too bad. Yeah. And then the ghostwriter put all the chapters together and made sense of them yes. to create the book and there was a lot of stories that I could have told and I should have told but I felt I was running out of time because I thought the Grim Reaper might come back and get me Right. and so I had to get the job finished yeah. so that I had the story to tell my children and grandchildren yes. where, we, where I'd come from and what 
starting the whole thing. And this is what's incredible. And this is the ongoing pattern. And it'd be interesting to find out if, if you know, this is you or uniquely to people like you, entrepreneurs, is that drive that commitment that I've got to get a job done, yeah. even when you're bluntly, you know, battered to bits, yeah. you know, can't yeah. eat, can't yeah. move, can't do anything, but you've got to finish that book. Yeah, you're driven. I mean, that's phenomenal. Yeah. Most people would have just gone, I'm ill, I can't do anything. Yeah. And that's probably what makes you stand out. Yeah, yeah, because you do look inward at yourself and say, well, if I am successful and... I think in terms of where I, the journey I've been on, I am successful. Why is the reason for being successful? Because I'm not that bright, I'm not that clever, and you think of all the different reasons why you've been able to succeed. Yeah. And the thing that comes back time and time again is you, you are driven. You're driven. No matter what the task is in front, you're driven to succeed. And complete it. So succeed is actually not perfection, but completion. Yeah, that's yeah? right. Yeah. yeah. So for so um, for anybody who's listening to this, of which I hope there are lots and lots, um, welcome Peter Barfoot of uh, Barfoot Inc. Barfoot Fruit and Veg Worldwide. I mean Barfoot's, yeah. you know, huge, huge, successful fruit and veg company started from. Um, you know, tiny, tiny roots. Well, I started from a 21-acre county council's small owning back wow. in 1979. Right. And now we grow our products around the world so they're available to our customers 365 days of the year. Am I right in saying you cover, is it 36, 7 countries? 30, no, at the moment, 32 countries. 32 countries. Yeah. yeah. Oh, only 32. Yeah, okay. only 32. <laughs> yeah. And to give some idea of scale, yeah. we farm 8,000 acres of vegetables in England and another 8,000 acres of vegetables in Senegal and and another 4,000 acres in Spain. And we also have a share in a large farming business in Peru. Wow. So quite a scope. So you've got those scope of soils, temperatures, which yeah. I suppose obviously then helps you yeah. produce a, a huge range of product, different, yeah, we basically different products. follow the sun around yeah. the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So when so with this this twenty one acre field back in the day, yeah. and I know you come from a, a farming background, but you've got this field. Um, so what did you plant in there? Well, we started growing traditional vegetable crops, yeah, like lettuce and cabbage and cauliflower and Brussels sprouts. Okay, but they weren't really going anywhere. And uh, it, how do you mean by not going anywhere? It didn't make any money or...? Well, it didn't make a lot of money. And yeah. It was a hard slog. And, yeah. and you could do all these crops much better and much efficiently up in the eastern counties. Right. So messing around on a bit of poor soil in Hampshire yeah. wasn't really a progressive way forward. Okay. But what we did have in Hampshire was the light lots of sunlight and relatively warmth. Yeah. We have the Isle of Wight more to the southwest 
it breaks up the clouds and sends them around the chalk hills behind us and leaves us basking in sunlight. Lovely. And gives us what is a microclimate. Yeah. So that area of Hampshire where I was born and brought up was a very famous for growing strawberries. In fact, it was the biggest area of strawberry production yeah. in Europe for over a hundred years. And my ancestors, going back six generations, were basically farm workers from Botley that yeah. escaped onto the commons of Hedgen on the outskirts of Botley and started yeah. to grow strawberries. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yep. And the same climate that gave them a good strawberry industry yeah. also was perfect for the range of exotic veg that I produce. So this is then, we're, we're, we're going in then, starting with the, which I read, and I, I do, we've obviously talked in the past, but you, you were really sort of a, um, the sort of linchpin that, that brought in what was once considered, uh, for want of a better term, posh um, veg, but, yeah. or, or create, you know, the, the, the courgette, corn on the cob, yeah. tender stem. Yeah. That was... Asparagus. Yeah. Yeah. And on and on and on. Chili peppers. We like to term them as exotic, luxury, right. luxury class vegetables. Okay. But a lot of them are now becoming the norm. Well, I would say they are now, you know, and that, that was, a, I mean, what, I mean, it's an incredible, I mean, was that a calculator? I mean, obviously you don't have a crystal ball, but what, what was the, I mean, because that's a big risk, isn't it? We all eat, you know, I had a conversation with someone a little while ago about, um, uh, eating game meat, okay, yeah. and that largely it's it's psychological in the sense of uh, you have a turkey at Christmas, yeah, yeah. Um, or you used to. I know it's eaten more often now. Um, most people on a Sunday have chicken, pork, or beef. Yeah, but we wouldn't have pheasant. Yeah, uh, maybe not a venison. You know, but it's still lean and, and lovely meat. But it's like a a, 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 you know, a psychological thing. Yes, at some point, w would it have been more difficult to get hold of? I don't know. I think years ago, people ate that rather than the, you know, the, the beef and the pork. But I, I just think it's it's a, a really clever or lucky or a bit of both that um, to break, you know, the, the, the habits of people, yeah. to bring in them the corn, the, the you know, the courgette the, and so on and so forth. What made you do it? What was the idea behind that? Why did you... Why did how did you know did you know did you think it was going to happen or did you just take a punt what was the thinking behind well, I knew it? we had a special climate they would they would grow um, products that needed more warmth and sunlight right so sweet corn needs a soil temperature of 14 degrees just to germinate and then it needs sunlight to ripen and mature it so that was ideal gorgeous well, we grew marrows because marrows were an old-fashioned staple yeah. vegetable, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, And And then we thought, well, why don't we pick them smaller and produce what was called then zucchinis? Yeah. And and we call them they courgettes, but they are... Sounds much posher, doesn't it? Z zucchini, zucchini. Yeah, yeah. that's right. And I remember growing five acres of courgettes, packing them into boxes, sending them to Covent Garden and to Southampton and Portsmouth, the wholesale markets, 
And then the company called Geese, who were big banana producers, yeah. said to me, do you think you could prepack those courgettes? And because we think we could sell them to Marks and Spencer's. Okay. So, so we did. We um, we laid a concrete apron to our yard yes. to bring the lorries back into, all by hand. We converted the toy barn into a packing shed. Right. And we used to pack these courgettes with overwrap with PVC. So just to set the scene, yeah. what what, what uh, year is this? What sort of time? When, when was this roughly? This was around about nineteen eighty. Right. So just uh, I just want to keep a picture going through because, um, you know, whether you like it or not, uh, you are the theme of this um, podcast is pretty much you know you or you are it personified, so to speak, this sort of pursuit of excellence, right? Yeah. This constant drive. And it's not all about money, but it's about someone, you know, having a passion, having a drive and reaching a goal. Yeah. Whether it's for just fulfilment, financial or, or, or anything else. So now we've gone from the field, the salad, the, the what I call the standard veg, be it salad, cabbages, that sort of thing, We've got the zucchini, as it's known in a courgette. Yeah. Something different, yeah. And now we're packaging that. We're building an infrastructure to process, for want yeah. of a better term, that yeah. product. And now we've got uh, potentially a big, you know, sort of outlet to sell it and a very well-known one. Yeah, that's So right. this must have felt quite exciting. It was, yeah. Felt really good. And and so we started off with courgettes and they said, is there anything else you could do for us? Because... Um, retailers back in the late 1970s were only just feeding their feet into their high street. And so they needed suppliers to supply them. And you could do all sorts of things and get away with all sorts of things. In a way, it was a bit like the Wild West. Yeah. Stuff you couldn't dream of doing today because <laughs> it's all regulated. Technology has to be perfect. You know, you mustn't have any unformed bodies in the products. So everything has to pass through metal detection and yes, and then um, ultraviolet rays to kill any bacteria on on the product. But back in those days, there was nothing like that. You just had to have a very good quality product, yeah, package it, and then load it on the lorry and send to the depot. Yeah. So. Anyway, the next product was sweet corn. We knew we could grow sweet corn. Right. So we started growing sweet corn. Right. And I think the first sweet corn was about 20 acres of sweet corn. Yeah. Well, putting that into perspective, we now grow 3,500 acres of sweet corn. How many cobs is that a year? Well, I didn't know these things, but I am... Bombarded by these. Um, well, I tell you what. Let's be kind. On a on a good month now, yeah. how many cobs would you process? Well, well, process four million this week. <laughs> yeah, four million yeah. cobs. Yeah. in one week. Yeah, and process means, in layman's terms, picked, cleaned, checked, packaged out delivered Label. on a shelf yeah, labeled, labeled the whole process from yeah. growth to um to, to purchaser to customer yeah four million yeah in a week yeah and we'll do 
200, 200 ton of courgettes. Wow. In one week? Yeah. 200 tons? Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. Even I couldn't eat that much. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you must have quite a few green giants helping you then with the sweet corn. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this change, this, this, this now then, we're we're not pulling away from farming. Obviously, you're growing product and you know a lot more product. But this must have. What were the changes now that are going on in your head? Because bluntly, you're becoming, you know, farmer businessman into. To the big, biggish business. Well, I went from being a farmer to needing <coughs> to needing to be a business person. Was that a big transition? Was that a big leap oh, for you? Oh, huge! The biggest yeah. one was you. You are a certain. You've got a certain ability, and that is based on a pair of hands. Yeah. And eventually, the pair of hands is no longer enough. So you have to learn to delegate and use other people's. Pairs of hands. They're difficult. Very, very difficult. Yeah. And, you know, to be frank, getting over the difficulty and understanding the journey I had to go on cost me my marriage and everything else that was personally around me. So is this now stemming back to when you mentioned earlier about being an entrepreneur that maybe this is a trait that's carried through or certainly just one that's unique to, to you, but you almost have to become selfish, self-centred to <laughs> yeah, create you that. Are, you are try. right. Rather cruel, Simon, but you're right. Selfish, self-centred and knowing enough is never enough. No. Yeah. 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 So anyway, we started on the journey. We had a, a refrigerated lorry body as a cold store. And everything was manhandled. They didn't even have a forklift. Wow. wow. I was told last week I employ 53 forklift drivers now. Incredible. Incredible. Yeah. So back then, I thought I was the only one that could drive a forklift. But obviously, I wasn't. Yeah. I thought I was the only one that could drive a straight line. Yeah. But on a tractor. But I wasn't. So you learn all these things as a process. Yeah. But the biggest thing is you can't do it all yourself. No. Well, I, I tell you a really funny coincidence. Um, um, no need to mention names at all, but I, 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 uh, we've got a rather nice chap who comes in every now and again who's sort of semi-retired, but he started a haulage company some years ago and he started with a van and uh, he brought his sons into the business um, he built it up to having 40 uh, HGVs, yeah. I think, around there. His sons have now taken on. I think they've nearly doubled that, okay? And uh, he then said, oh, we, we deliver a lot of fruit and veg for yeah. uh, a local company, which yeah. I think turned out to be yours. But oh. I just thought, again, you know, it's relative, but I thought, what a, what a lovely story, you know, from yeah. starting from, you know, and then building this amazing thing. And, of course, that's needed because of the amount of produce you're yeah, producing, yeah. so it, you know, everything so goes hand it in It rolls on and on. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, it's not just what's in your space, in your sort of world, but that rolls on to someone else's world. Yeah. And an interesting thing, in Senegal, we're growing food on land that's never grown food in the history of the world. Really? Yeah, and employing close to 3,000 people. Now, that has a secondary effect because those people then need jobs to spend their money in. Yes. 
So the 3,000 has basically, 3,000 employees, has basically helped and encouraged 25,000 people in within the area to do um, subsidiary trading and work. Yeah. So it rolls on and on. Which is a lovely thing, isn't yeah, it? That one yeah. thing feeds another, feeds another. Uh, yeah, I mean, right. It sounds like the yeah. ideal world. Yeah. 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 As long as you're at the top and it all feeds down through. <laughs> well, I don't know about being at the top, being somewhere in the chain, yeah. So where, so you come out the field, we've gone to m and I know I have a basic understanding of, you know, different vegetables and things that weren't available at some time. And then the TV chefs popped up and then restaurants are buying yeah. and stuff. And then people are thinking, I want some of that. So, I'd like to have. Yeah, so we got gorgeous. We got sweet corn. Yeah. Um, I was back in 1991. I was in South Africa. Yeah. Look at... Uh, so like clear the clear the throat. Yeah. It's fine, absolutely fine. In fact, have a, yeah, have a sip. In fact, you know what? I'm going I'm going to do exactly the same. Actually, I'm have a little zip of my cold coffee. <clears throat> so, are we ready again? Yeah, absolutely. So, back in 1991, I was in South Africa looking for someone to supply me sweet corn in the season in the winter months. Mm. And while I was there, I saw a product, a funny-looking product called butternut squash. Now, <laughs> I did know that Sainsbury's actually would, would have wanted to sell butternut squash if yeah. they had a supplier. Yeah. So I bought five acres of butternut squash, got them loaded into a container, tea container, and shipped them to England. And then I embarked on selling butternut squash. Okay. Well, butternut squash, with the help of me, social media chefs such as Jamie Oliver yes. and um, it was a lovely lady. Um, uh, who are we talking? Um, not the one from uh, uh, Benita. Do we know any lovely lady chefs who were big on TV um, back around? Got, no, um, got the owns the football club at. Oh, um, uh, Delia, Mil Smith. Delia Smith. Yes, Delia Smith. yes. lovely lady. Cooking for one. Yeah. I, I relied on that book yeah. for a while. <laughs> so Jamie Oliver and Delia Smith were doing these recipes, soups, etc., on yeah. butternut squash. Yeah. So we hit that market just the right time, and within eighteen months, two years, we were selling. 300, 350 tonne of butternut squash <laughs> a year. Wow. Growing it in Spain, in Greece, and South Africa, and then taking it across the Atlantic Ocean to Argentina and growing butternut squash in Mendoza. So, so there's opportunity somewhere. Find the opportunity and then make it work. So whenever the opportunity exists on the new product, whether it's a twitchy nose that spells an egg or what, or yeah. luck, um, I don't know what it is, but we've been very fortunate in getting the new crops, the new wave. Like eight years ago, tender stem was only grown in the King and the Highlands. Yeah. 
it was grown on license to M&S, who own the rights of the seed to grow tetrastem. Right. And so it was grown in the Kenyan Islands to a perfect temperature because in the Kenyan Islands you can go up and up and up and find you're on the equator basically but yeah. by going up the mountains you can get the perfect climate yes. for any time of year. So it was grown in the Kenyan Islands as a as a product to pack in air freight to England that worked in well with their main crop, which is roses and flowers. Right. So brother beans, French beans, tender stem, roses and flowers would typically um, fill an airplane with product to send into Heathrow. Yes. So this product called tender stem had the mystique of only being able to grow in the in the um, in the Kenyan islands, yeah. islands, and um, so we thought, I don't know, with our nice special maritime climate on the Hampshire <laughs> Sussex coast, yeah. we can have a go at that. Yeah. So we did, and we got Tesco's to come and look at the crop and sample it, mm. and they said, no, 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 Mr. Barber, you can't grow tender stem in, in England. Um, you need to be in Kenya. Well, there's a crop. It's in the field, and it looks pretty good to me. Yes. And it tastes like tender them. Yes. So we must be able to do it. Yeah. Anyway, they turned me down, but Savory said they would try it if I could produce it organically for okay. their organic cells. So we did. We grew organic tender them. Yes. And it took off really, really well. So after about 18 months of pushing it and pushing it for them to stock it as a conventional product, they did. And and not only did our growing and sales increase in England, yeah. um, we started growing in Spain. So from June to November, we produced Endostem in England. Yes. And from November through till late May, early June, we yeah. produce in Spain. So this Spain. is your term, chasing the sun. Yeah, yeah, chasing the sun. Yeah. And we regularly sell 100 tonne a week of tender stem. That's incredible. Packed, labelled. Phenomenal. And, and it is a phenomenal product because it's nice green colour, it yeah. tastes sweet, yes. and children, believe it or not, love it. Yes, well, your 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 um normal broccoli can become very you know soft and mushy, and yeah. obviously children are finicky anyway. But you're right; yeah. it hold you know as a well not quite as um, um sort of uh, coarse as uh, asparagus, but it has a nice sort of yeah. consistency, it does. If, if not overcooked. It, it links very well with asparagus. Yes, asparagus is tender stem. Yes, if you went out to a local pub restaurant tonight, I guarantee you'd have. Either tender stem or asparagus on the plate, but probably five French beans. Now, there's another story. Historically, we grew a lot of brother beans, grew up sticks, yes, and you pick them, etc. And they're a lovely English product, but a good brother bean is hard to prepare. 
you need to trim the sides and edges of the vein yeah. and then put it through a slicer. Yeah. So, so it's hard work. Yeah. And like mothers that. aren't teaching their daughters how to do it. No. So what's it, what's a better product? Uh, a French bean. Um, a French green bean, probably three or four inches long, comes in a nice soldier pack. Just trim the ends. Etc. Trim the ends. Yeah. Steam it or boil it, and there you, there you go. Much easier than yeah. a rudder vein. Yeah. Now, we used to grow, believe it or not, 200 acres of rudder veins, but we knew it was a dying product. Yeah. But the green beans had possibilities. Not as nice, not as quintessentially English, but a good product and easy and quick to prepare. So we started growing French beans. Now, the labor cost of picking French beans is very high. Nice. Oh, and for the main we were selling, you need at least 100 people picking. Okay. So anyway, it's the next another product for us, French beans. But we knew to really hit the marketplace, we had to get our cost down. Yes, yes. So we bought a a harvester in Italy that could harvest French beans and do away with hundred figures. So we could really scale it up. Yeah. So this is now running at 100 mile an hour, isn't it? Because we've got into M&S um, with our product and, and, and then we've had, I think you you said their Sainsbury's would take, you know, organic product and then you had another one that strangely came out and said, oh, uh, well, you can't grow this when actually physically you were, which is yeah. quite a bizarre thing because yeah. I would have thought supermarkets would have been more, we don't care, you do it, just can you supply it? Yeah. Um, which you clearly could. And now you're into um, cutting down workforce, big bits of machinery. I mean, this is now massive mm-hmm. investment. This is, this is must everything must have changed dramatically by now. I mean, oh yeah, we're in a step change. Yeah, you know. We, so where we? I mean, so I'm, you know, I'm thinking of you now, the farmer, you know, growing those those veg. Now you're running big business. Yeah. Yeah, and you are shortly then surrounded by. <clears throat> a ring of people doing stuff for you. Yeah. So now you're not doing what you sort of ultimately w- were brought up surrounded by, which is working with your hands, but you're now not even, you are controlling, but you're delegating. That must be quite a strange, or was it a very subtle transition? I mean, did, did you did you ever at any point turn around and go, wow, this is, well, um, uh, you know, this I is... Ha- I had to employ good managers because... I've made a mess of things. Right. I, I, I messed up my marriage. I messed up everything. I was probably in depth at the time. Mm. And the only way of being, being able to run a household, a farm, and a, and a factory was to get people to help me. And so that was the beginning of building but what was in what was in your mind though when you were doing that? I mean, do you would you say, oh, survival? My, my father was energetic and driven, so therefore genetically I was. What was what was the aim at the time? What was going on in the head? You know, if the marriage is going, this is going, that's going. I mean, that's quite robust things to fall by the wayside, but yet you still had this sort of concrete sort of 
steel, you know, idea. You've got to get forward. What? What is that? Where? Where does that come from? What? What? Is it just you, or is it something what? you work at? Is it something that, as things happen in front of you, you want to add to them? Did you? Did you one day when, in the early days go? I want a huge business. I want to grow loads of edge. No. What was it? Well, you start doing the business. Is it the is it the money or is it achievement? No, or? it's not the money. No, it's not the pot of gold at the end you of the rainbow. You don't strike me as the one who does it for money. It's no. the rainbow. That's yeah. why you do it. And the pot of gold is just byproduct. The Default. byproduct. Yeah. If you get there. Yes. Yeah. 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 So, as the business grew and we kept developing new products that hit the marketplace in the right spot. Um, we then needed quality people to to make these products come through to the marketplace. And that's a difficult thing, isn't it? Finding good people. Yeah. And when you find a good person to manage, let them manage. Yeah. See, that must be difficult from someone who's, you know, only just sort of grasped the yeah. idea of letting go and delegating. And Yeah, but when you've hit rock bottom, yeah. you have to grab whatever's there. Yes. And when you personally can't do any more with those two hands, yes. you have to let someone else join you and use their two hands and their ability, um, which is not easy, but it's a means to an end and you have to do it. So many people will employ a manager and then still want to manage themselves. Well, and... The biggest problem is understanding everybody makes mistakes and toleration of a manager's mistakes. And when you look at yourself and what you do, you make mistakes all the time. Yes. But you excuse them, get on with it the next day and try and put those things right. Well, when you employ a manager to manage, you have to let him also have the license to make mistakes. Yes. And put them right. That's the only way he will develop and he will learn. Did you trust anyone? I did. Did you? Yeah, I did. And you can't run a business by trusting people. No. Now, if you want to hear a story hot off the press and we're talking to me two weeks ago... Yeah. A, a very senior manager who was like part of the family, very important in what we did. He controlled all the casual labour on the farm. Right. Not in the factory, but on the farm. So, sorry, just for clarity, when you say family, you mean part of, you know, the, the Barfoot's, the yeah, team? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Part yeah. of the Barfoot's That's team. It. Yeah. Yeah. So his job was to, to handle and sort out a seasonal workforce of four or five hundred people. Okay. Now, um, an under manager under him, his labour costs on a certain job was too high. And when questioned about the fact that he wasn't meeting the budget, he said, I don't agree with the figures. Right. They're wrong. So we looked into it a bit more, and at the same time, we were doing COVID flow testing of staff. Yeah. And we noticed six people 
weren't there to be tested. Where were they? Well, they didn't exist. Wow. They were ghost workers. Wow. So this guy, who was Lithuanian, a very intelligent person, yeah. started off working for us in our accounts department. Wow. Was employing ghost workers. Yeah. Yeah. And then paying them. Yeah. And putting their payments into bank accounts that he owned. Wow. So this took a week of looking into our payment records and bank accounts and payments, etc., etc. Yeah. And this has been going on for 13 years. No way. And I trusted him implicitly. And it's brought about a, a, a big momentum in terms of trust, etc., etc. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. So even on this creating ghost workers unnoticed for 13 years, I mean, just have a just to quickly um, pause you and then just cut in. I mean, this I can imagine is you know when you've got this this huge setup and these masses of people, yeah. you know, uh, it, it must be incredibly difficult to to keep a hand on everything. And I guess that's then why you know you've got managers and under managers and heads of departments yeah. and you know all this. And and I guess for you also, and I don't know if it makes a difference from the process of taking people on, but I guess there's also a lot of seasonal labour. Yeah. So it might be, for want of a better term, slightly more relaxed in how you take people on. And um, Maybe, I don't know. I don't well, know. But... What, it, what it points to is that you, the trust you give people um, is not always um, got. No. And it was quite a shock. But did it... Did it um, did you take it as a, oh, well, I just got that wrong, clearly, uh, and then does it taint your decision-making moving forward, or do you just cut that way as, I got that one wrong, but we still need to continue to trust people? We do. Yeah. And it's still ongoing at the moment. Yeah. We're talking of a figure. There's probably three quarters of a million yeah. plus. <clears throat> well, I tell you what, on that point, because I've got loads more questions, I want to get them in order. Um, we'll take a quick break, we'll have a drink, and we'll come back in two minutes. Right, okay. Well, we've had a quick break. Yeah. Open the doors. Um, I was getting quite warm. Yeah. <laughs> a bit cooler in here now. Um, just to recap, you were just telling me a rather sad story based on trust and uh, clearly someone's misinterpretation of that and how they bluntly, in my language, ripped you off over a period of time. Uh, you, I think you said 13 years yeah. and you felt that that might have had a cost collectively of nearly three quarters of a million quid. Yeah. So, yes, and it's made us really look into ourselves because not just me, but the senior managers and directors have just been, been, been let down and perhaps we're, we're too trusting in the way we run our business but without trust you're not going to go anywhere you have to trust people you have to trust someone someone 
So it's very important that we just move on from this. Yeah. And um, because business is normal. Probably bring in um, some better policing of how we do things, but you have to trust people. You have to take on managers, you have to let them manage, and you have to trust them. And then again, they might buy you, but there you go. You've got to. Well, I was going to say, that's one thing, uh, you know, in sim- just in simplified terms, having, say, a unit, a premises in the yeah. UK, you yeah. run a big business, you've got the sort of chain of command and, you know, ground staff, you know, doing the business. Um, what was the change then for you when you started to break into other countries? So now, you know, you said earlier you farm in 32 different countries. Yeah. You've got 31 different setups yeah. going on, yeah. you know, abroad. Yeah. And they're running 24-7, lots of people involved. You know, psychologically, what, what's that like? Because you can't physically keep a, a tag on, you know, everything that goes on, no, surely. No, trust comes in. Yeah. You get the best people you can get, and where do you find them? Sometimes by chance. Sometimes you through headhunters. Headhunters are a bunch of unscrupulous so and so's, to put it mildly. For everyone, for everyone they give you, they they could end up taking two and giving to somebody else. Right. But I somehow I'm very good at finding people and noticing something that they might have in them to create. A very good manager. Yes. Um, we have a lady with our business called Christina. She's Polish, and she used to clean our offices and toilets. And I said to her one day, very attractive lady, she was w- wiping the desk in front of me and wiggling her bum under my nose. <laughs> and, and I said... Oh, so that's what it was, right? Okay. And, and I said, Christina... What what do you do in Poland? And she turned around and she looked at me nonchalantly and said, "In Poland, I am a master of business." Hmm. I said, "Hmm. Very interesting. Can you use a computer?" Yes, of course I can. No problem. So I said to my managing director and Christina, who cleans the offices and toilets, and says. She's a master of business, and she can use a computer. Oh, he said, well, it's my day. So we put her in front of the computer, and she opened it up, and away she went, doing various little tasks to prove she had an understanding of what she was doing. So we give her a job um, working with the uh, customers, collating the order sheets of products they wanted into factory worksheets and then picking sheets and and um, delivery notes followed by an invoicing trial back into us. Wow, okay. So quite a... Yeah, quite, quite an involved... Big, yeah, yeah pros- quite an involved job. Yeah. But she took to it like a duck to water. She now has at least eight women girls working under her and doing a similar thing. She does a shift pattern of four 12 hours on, 
and four twelve hours off cycle. Four days on, four days off. Yes. Continental shift system. And in her four days off, she runs the local gymnasium right. in the road. Right. And um, she's now been working for us for, in the region of 12 years. She owns several houses in the area. She rents out to other Eastern <laughs> Europeans. <laughs> so This is a success story within a success yes, story. Yes, right. I'm just showing you the gems that are yeah. in front of you. And you. If you can find them and use them, those gems... Yeah. Um, we have another guy who was a Kremlin guard in the Red Army. Right. And he took part, if you listen to his story, in the discussions that took place with the generals on the Gorbachev affair yeah. and what they were going to do with the Gorbachev situation. I said to him, Alex... Why you? He said, well, Mr. Barber, I make very good tea. <laughs> I said, oh, right, okay. So that's, so that's where you are. You're a guard outside the room. You made the tea. And now you're here. You came to me and you ended up in the field picking courgettes. And now you run by good scene into the factory of all the trucks that are arriving and going out again. Yes. I said, well, how did that all happen? He said, well, he said, I realised that after standing guard on these meetings, I probably knew too much. So I could, I might very well disappear. Right. So I thought I'd better get out before I disappear. <laughs> yes. So I ran away and came to England and you gave me a job and you helped me. And now I have English passport. I said, all oh, right. Um, so, yeah, but now you moved on from running our yard to running our biogas plants. Yes. How does that happen, Alex? He said, well, I have a degree in industrial chemistry, Mr. Barber. <laughs> what's the chances? Yeah, what's the chances? Another, another gem. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is it, um, I notice here there's a running theme of, um, well, Eastern Europeans. Yeah. Is their work ethic different? Yeah, they're unbelievable, their work ethic. Mm. And people say to me, oh, you built your business up on Eastern European labour and yeah. not paying them accordingly. Cheap labour, yeah, supposedly. Well, there's nothing cheap about them. What's cheap is the amount of work they do in return for their They're cost-efficient. They're yeah. not cheap. Yeah. No, yeah. no. In fact, even in the fields at the moment, picking asparagus, the top asparagus picker earns... Seven hundred and fifty pound a week regularly. Really? Yeah, and they all want to earn at least five hundred pound. Yeah. And you could say that a lot of them want to earn five hundred pound net. Yeah. After the deductions. Sure. And if you do not give them the opportunity to earn that type of money, they leave and go somewhere else. Yes. 
Yes. But they are essential to running our business. Yeah. And when you look at our our managerial regime through the business, whether it's factory or farming, is based on Eastern Europeans that came here 15, 16 years ago. Yeah. yeah. And this guy who ran the scam of coast workers joined us 15 years ago. Yeah. And I yeah. thought a lot of him. Yeah. It's, so it's going to take a bit of getting over, but we'll get over it. Yeah. And move on. Well, um, yeah. I, I think you've uh, more than proved that you can overcome most hurdles. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Consistent on that one. Yeah. Um, so you talk about the uh, Eastern Europeans and their worth e- work ethic, forgive me. Um, but isn't there one particular um, Russian tank driver who does have a rather easy job by the sounds of things and gets to wear his slippers to work? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we have an extremely large tractor that runs on tracks. Yeah, so this is not like a typical tractor as we would think. This is like a huge, yeah. great tract, yeah. like a building almost. Yeah, so it it involves um, it a big machinery that um, does minimum tillage plowing. That means you don't turn the soil over, you undercut it to break the pan, and you crumble the soil texture behind it. But it takes a lot of horsepower to pull it. So the machine pulls this big machine that gives you this minimum till situation. And um, and to drive it, you need a tank license to drive it on <laughs> the road, because it's on tracks. <laughs> right. So we have a Russian yeah. um, ex-army soldier yeah. with a tank license Incredible. driving it <laughs> and Brilliant. when he gets in the tractor in the morning he puts a pair of slippers on and leaves his boots in the corner of the field and takes his place behind the steering wheel mm. um, logs in on the sat nav equipment inside so this is all, all, all um, basically sort of uh, almost operated by GPS right? yeah yeah, yeah. sets it up and continues with his work, um, which basically entails sitting, just sitting in the driver's seat. <laughs> with his slippers on. <laughs> yeah. And and this tractor will work within a one and a half centimetre accuracy. That's phenomenal. That's turning phenomenal. itself around on its own. Yeah. When it comes to the end of the field, turning around to go back up again. I mean, that is the amazing thing, technology, isn't it? That huge, great lump of machinery. I mean, enormous great bloody lump, wet yeah. mud, you know, and yet it's working within a 15 millimetre yeah. tolerance. Yeah. I mean, that's... Driven by... That kills the art, though, of the old school chap that would drive a plough straight or tow right. a plough straight. Right. Did you? Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> I was one of those few people that could drive a straight line. Yeah. And now... All these young kids driving our tractors can drive a straight line. Yeah, yeah. And so we have a Russian operator working his machine on a Russian satellite <laughs> somewhere up above his head. Yeah, yeah. Incredible. Unbelievable. Incredible. Yeah. Uh, does that drop him back off of the corner of the field where his boots are at the end of the day? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
So what is the... What I really want to know is... Um, <clears throat> wait, what's it like to own a business that's... You know, I'm, I'm, I, I don't know the ins and outs, but I know it's got to be, you know, sort of 200, 250 million quids worth of business. What's that like waking up every morning? Well, Once you've come round and, you know, what, what, what's the psychology of that? Because, you know, that's a big business being employed, right? A CEO, a, a head of whatever. But for someone who's built this up from nothing, and it is pretty much nothing, it's a 21-acre field and we're, we're playing with some lettuce and cabbage, to then go to just the total other end of the scale and bluntly nearly killing yourself on a horse yeah. not intentionally obviously but uh, yeah what, what, what goes on in Peter's mind when you wake up I mean, it must you know how do you keep going what's the drive what's the psychology what because you, you have so much to sort of entertain on a daily basis well re so I'm recovering from my accident which was five years ago um, um, I thought the best thing to do was sell the business mm. So um, we put it, we advertise that it's for sale. Yeah. We do for businesses. And it wasn't long before the many grey suits turned up <laughs> um, with, um, um, what are they called? What are um, these people? Private equity. Oh, right. Private yes. equity money yes. to invest in your business. Sure. And I thought, well, this is all right. And so it, it, we we started working on that for about a year, and it was a a considerable sum sum that they were offering, quite flattering actually. Mm. But then, when it, the time came to start changing heads of agreement, I didn't like it, the feel of it at all. No. And are um, we pulling back from delegating now to coming back to hold on a minute? This is actually mine. Yeah. yeah, we're reverting back to that train of thought. It's, it's, it's my baby. Yes. And I love my workforce. Yes. Um, and these people will only rape and pillage and send sell it on again. Yes. And probably sack half the quality people that I've got. Yeah. Um, so I suddenly did a big U-turn. And one minute I was going to have all this money yeah. that I would probably waste and would probably contribute to ruining my children and grandchildren's lives. Yes. To realising that, hey, I've got such a good business that there's a load of money in it that I didn't even know was there. <laughs> oh, there's a wonderful problem, huh? <laughs> well, it's funny because I said to my accountant, these private equity businesses, I've got thirty-five million pounds worth of cash. <laughs> Where's that, Nick? <laughs> and he said, "Well, it's yours, but <clears throat> it helps me sleep at night knowing <laughs> it's there." Makes a nice pillow, does it? <laughs> yeah. So I did this U-turn, mm. and we bought two more farms. Brilliant! Eleven hundred acres. <laughs> so we're back on the old. And I'm going to take a punt here, I guess. Were those farms somewhere where the, uh, the the soil's warm and the sun's nice and it's near home? Yeah. 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 <laughs> one on the Jesus Plain. Yeah. And um, the other one on the Isle of Wight. 
So we got, we're going safe. Fabulous. Yeah. 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 Fabulous. So there we are. We're back on the treadmill. It will soon be my 71st birthday. Yes. And in um, Ju- Yeah, this uh, June, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But the Grim Reaper did say yeah. I've got another 20 years. Okay. So I've had five of them. Okay. And I've got 15 left. Yeah, I think the Grim Reaper's overrated. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't trust him, really. No. Or her. I don't know. Well, we'll yeah. see anyway. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what a phenomenal story! What an incredible story! I, I actually, I, I, I don't. I can only imagine, but I would, I would think that having built this thing, this business up over such a, a over a, um, a period of time. Um, it would almost be, well, nothing's impossible, it seems, but it would almost be very difficult to stop and have X in the bank and think, what do I do now? Yeah. What do I do now? Yeah. Then maybe the Grim Reaper might appear much sooner because yeah. surely there must be, this must be largely what keeps you going and keeps you you is this being involved. Yeah, it does. You don't strike me as someone who could ever really retire. Well, someone asked me the other day what my main job was was in this business. Mm. And I said, it's creating an illusion that I still run it. <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that why you now wear a branded gilet? Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 But in reality, I don't run it. I have a, a board of directors of full of very capable people yes. that run it for me. Yes. And I apply the light touch or the heavy boot here and there when but needed. But that is your role now, right? Yeah. That's That's part yeah. of the ultimate form of yeah. delegation, isn't it? Yeah. You're at the top, just yeah. gently yeah. prodding. But I have a very good um, non-exec director who is 83. And I've known him 15 years. Right. And... I have often said to him, come on, Harry, in the bad time you retire. And his answer is, a lot of my friends through the years have retired. Some retired at the age of 30, 40, some 50, some have waited to the 65. But they've all got something in common. Um, what's that, Harry? They're dead. <laughs> Right, okay. <laughs> so he insists yeah. that he has got another few years left to um, help me man the helm of my business. Well, it must it must now be surely like a lifestyle. I mean, it, does it seem like work now or is it just you? It's just what you do. Yeah, it's what I do. And if you, if you stopped, it would be completely foreign yeah. because what do you then do? Yeah, what, have you noticed... I've got my welly boots on today. Oh, I notice you're in agricultural gear yeah. today, ready to go and probably stomp somewhere after this. I yeah. am. I'm going to look at the field of tenders then. Yeah. Down the road. We should be ready to harvest in two weeks' time. Yeah. So I'll have to report back to my daughter that she's who runs the Spanish operation. I was going to say, you, you've actually, when we were talking about trust and employees and what is a lovely part of even the size that Barfoot's is, which is yeah. immense, you, you've got, you know, a bit of family in there running as well, yeah. which is fabulous. Yeah, my eldest daughter runs our Spanish operation. Yeah. And she's got to keep the tenders them going in Spain 
for the two weeks. Yes, yes. And also the courgettes going. Yes. Because the frost we had a couple of weeks ago have done a bit of damage to our crop. Yeah, And yeah. one thing you have to have is the ability to deliver 24-7. Yes. 365 days of the year. And if you can do that, there's as much business as you want. But if you get it wrong, it's gone. Right. And they don't take prisoners. No. Yeah. And is there always someone else ready to take your place? There's always someone else ready to take your place. Yeah. So as you're climbing this reefall, you've got to make sure nobody's climbing up behind you. Yes. Yeah. Yes, where there's always someone. Yeah. I mean, um, for anybody who might be listening to this who is about to start an endeavour and I know this is a, a, a big question and you you know there's probably lots of different answers to this but for someone who's starting their own thing they want to achieve they've got a mission they've got a point to make what not advice because we're all different and we all take different journeys yeah and we don't know what's coming either but what do you think are the the elements that those people need what are the pointers that you would give to someone you know, who, who who wants to succeed, who who wants to make a mark. What what do you think of the what I call generic? You know, the basics and the general things that people, the mindset, the 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 process, thought process. What advice would you give? Well, to start off in your late teenage years, you must learn to earn. Right. You must learn that to buy that pair of Nike trainers takes between 20 and 50 hours of bloody hard work to buy them. And that is the start of the process. Having a value. Having the value. Yeah. Yeah. And then, going on, and building a business, you have to have something that's scalable and deliverable and, and you bring in people that you can trust and help to manage. And is it also time spent? I mean, you, you said earlier that you became selfish and I would assume that that is largely based around the fact that you've got all these things going on, you're trying to watch everything. So from the moment you wake to the moment you put your head on the pillow, you're not necessarily a selfish person, but by default you're having to constantly monitor, yeah. which in itself could be deemed as being selfish um do you know do, do you think there's a fear that people when they're starting you know and they think oh i've got to work 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 do you think there's a fear that you can become a busy fool yeah for want of a better term yeah yeah but like i say you have to learn to trust other people and you have to be able to stand back and see the wood for the trees um i read a book years ago that said I never started making money till I stopped working and stopped started thinking. Right. And that's the, you must have that time to think. Yeah. If you're if you're a busy fool, you're not going to see anything. But if you can just step away and start thinking, then you're going to advance. And the thing I find even more incredible about people like yourself is not only that that you know obviously what they've created and they create on a daily basis but more so which i find 
more impressive is the ability to pick yourself back up yeah. when you've been kicked down on your ass. Yeah. Because, you know, each time you go, yeah, yeah. one would assume yeah. the drop each time is just that little bit longer, that little bit uh, lower. Yeah. Uh, and they must get to a point sometimes where you go, hold on a minute, I've been beaten here quite a few times. Shall I just jack it in? What's 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 what was the drive for you that made you get up? Go, yep, okay, gloves back on, round two, let's go. Well, I think the biggest driver of all was when my first wife and the mother of my first three children up sticks and left because um, I was intolerable to live with because all I was thinking about was work and working. But did that make you feel sad as well? Well, I did, but you get over that. Yeah? Yeah. But what I had to do was get on and run my life with her utilising good people. Mm. Did you miss the children? Well, I didn't miss them because they stayed with me. Oh, they did? Yeah, I was mother and father for a while. Um, Ace keeper and cook. Wow. Yeah. So you can multitask as well. There's no yeah. end to your talents, is yeah. there? Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. So, Simon, let's talk about when I come to you. Let's put this spotlight on you. Okay. Here I was, um, 18 months post a serious brain injury. Yeah. Um, had to learn to speak again. Yes. Um, which... You might find quite funny, but I can speak better now than I used to. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm less amateur. You're yeah, more posh now, yeah. Peter. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I had speaking language, speech and language therapy three yes. times a week. Yeah. Um, well, I remember when you first came in, and that must have been uh, four, three and a half years ago, three years ago. Yeah, three and a half years. Yeah, ago. yeah. And I remember this 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 man sort of very gingerly, just very small steps coming in, and yeah, a very different person to now. Yeah, and I'd lost a lot of my cognitive skills that we take for granted. Um, lifting a gun up to my shoulder and shooting a clay, mm. hopeless, mm. you know. And you have worked with me and helped me to do that because when I came out of hospital to come back home um, the first thing was the boys in blue come rain took away my gun license took away my driving license yes. and I said okay I can't have a gun license but I promise you I'm not going to shoot anybody no. they no. said no we're not worried about that sir we're worried about you shooting yourself. Yes. Because 60% of people with your severity and brain damage yes. end up committing suicide. It's a, it's a really sad fact. Yeah. But it is a fact. So I was in quite a broken state when I came yeah. to your shooting school. Yeah. And my aim was to get my gun license back again. Yes. And um, it's amazing that forgery uh, we got. It's brilliant, isn't it? It looks yeah. just like the real thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that was a joke. Not yeah. only did you know, you help me get my gun license back, but you helped me.
develop the cognitive skills that I didn't have. Well, so, we honestly, that is incredibly kind, and we felt I still do feel very proud. Yeah. Um, you know that we played a part in that yeah. rehabilitation, yeah. and uh, um, you know, without sounding tacky, I, I'd be proud to have entertained that process with anyone. Um, because it's a wonderful thing. Yeah. Uh, but when I then realised what sort of character you were, what you created, you yeah. know, I thought, oh, this, this, this could be a bit of a yeah. hand for you know. So yeah. um, it was uh, well for me and Benita, you know, it was yeah. it, it was a, a, a wonderful thing to do. So here I was, I couldn't speak properly. I just learned to start speaking again. Yeah. I couldn't swallow. I can swallow a little bit better now. Yeah. So I was being fed through a peg into my stomach through a syringe, <laughs> yeah. which is not a great experience. I could probably do with some of yeah, that. Yeah, and it's not a lot of fun. <laughs> no. Yeah. And um, no sense of balance. And started playing chess to help my brain start working. Yes. I'd just written a book to also help. Yes. And... And then, to cap all of that, you've got to be firing a gun again. Well, I, I, I'm, I, I'm forever proud because you, you, you know, it, it was obviously, you know, apparent that, you, well, you, you, you'd lost use. Yeah. You, you were stiff, for want of a better term, totally stiff. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, with the the track in the neck as well. Yeah. Um, the movement, you know, restricted completely, yeah. and and I could also see. <clears throat> And obviously understand the frustration because you've shot for a long time and you shoot very well, yeah? So I, even though I didn't know yeah, you... Yeah, but I you thought, tell well, all your customers that, Simon. Yeah, <laughs> no, well, you know, yeah. one or two. Yeah. Um, no, uh, so I can imagine that there's a, you know, you know, when we're good at something and then we sort of have our hands tied behind our back, yeah. that's got to be doubly yeah. frustrating. Yeah. And uh, I always remember that story where you... Where you said to me you got cross one morning and you said uh, I don't like you standing so close mm. and I said well no that's fine then and I walked off a few meters and uh, I sent some clays out and you missed them and then you said to me what am I doing and mm. I said I don't know I can't mm. see yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the start of a lovely relationship yeah. 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 anyway all I can say is thank you very much and you've been a great help do you know what it has been an absolute pleasure. And uh, one thing that doesn't happen with lots of customers is the fact that sometimes you make very good friends. Yeah. yeah? And uh, that's another thing I'm proud of, that we have a friendship outside of shooting and, yeah. and work. And, uh, and, you know, and that's a wonderful thing. Yeah. Um, that might be then a lovely point to uh, bring us to a, a sort of conclusion of our, our first podcast. Yeah, and I can um, go and um, look at my tenders then. You can go back out and do what you do best. Yeah. Um, thank you very, very much for your time today um, because I know time is precious and uh, there's always lots to do for Peter Barfoot. Um, we didn't even touch on polo and horses and the new forest and your love of, you know, equestrian, yeah. but yeah. Uh, uh, another yeah. day, I think, yeah. on that one. Yeah. Um, but but from us here, thank you for sharing a, a, a great insight. Uh, and I hope, and this is really the idea behind this podcast, which we hope will one day, you know, take off and flourish, is that if nothing else, rather like what I've done for you, but by your own admission, is to um, 
inspire others and yeah. maybe people, you know, younger, yeah. maybe even older people, who knows, anybody, yeah. it's not yeah. applicable, an age is it's not yeah. applicable, but, you know, just give someone a bit of inspiration to get up and and get on and uh, and create. Yeah, it's not just the shooting, but the environment you created around the shooting school. Like, although you're going bang, 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 there is also a sense of, of peace in the environment of the trees and the topography of um, your your area that you shoot on. I think our uh, I think our our, our sort of uh, spiritual backgrounds have created uh, a beautiful atmosphere that is almost like a sum of its parts. Yeah. So it is not all about the shooting, but it is all about atmosphere. Yeah. And I th- well, that's what's special at Hound Hall is that, uh, you know, ultimately we're, we're, we're a school and we teach people how to shoot. Uh, and we have wonderful, beautiful events for fun and for education. Um, but, 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 but the key point is that it is made up of a huge cross-section of people, from the dustman to the to the lord and everything in between. But the beauty is that when they come in here, they sound all drippy and say they're all equal, but when they come here, we attract decent people. So background, yeah. it has no bearing. Yeah. It's just a really nice place. And that fits in nicely with the... You know the sort of mindful well-being vibe that runs, you know, throughout Cowdrey and and the bits that they do, but ultimately we're very proud of what we created, yeah. um, and I think through doing that it draws in lovely people, and thus we got to meet you. And and everybody's got a story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. everyone's got a story. Yeah. Well, yeah, thank you, have. Simon. Peter, thank you very much indeed. And I wish you all the very best for the future. Yeah. And we'll see you again very soon. Okay, thank you. God bless. Bye-bye. Yeah. Bye.